Oh, that's awesome. How many of you have already learned that when you are in a battle, and I'm talking about the battle of the mind, that praise is a fierce weapon and one in which you can gain victory. Has anyone ever actually experienced that before? Anyone? Man, I have. And so that's why that song uh, just resonates with me so much. And it's great because that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about today. Um, but before we get started, I was charged with inviting each and every one of you to our Good Friday service. I know that it doesn't look like spring or feel like spring, but I know for two reasons that spring is actually coming. One is my sinuses, and my sinuses don't lie. When it's spring, they hurt, and guess what? They hurt, so spring is on its way. Also, so is Easter. So we know that it's happening, but before we can celebrate Easter, we, uh, as believers and as Christians, we know that something very serious had to take place first. And that was Jesus' uh, death and sacrifice on the cross, which actually puts us in the place to be in full relationship and peace with God. And so we want to take the time as, as a family to just come together. And we say family, we're actually going to meet in uh, Mark and Rachel Lurup's home. Mark is the one that was just up here. And so they live real close to here. The address will be in your bulletin. And we want to invite you on Good Friday, April 19th at 7 o'clock, to his house for just a special time to just remember what it really took uh, for us to even be able to celebrate Easter, our salvation, and our eternal life, yeah? So we hope you'll all come, each and every one of you. But yes, what we are talking about now is our minds. And how many of you feel like you could kind of use a little checkup up here? Anybody? Or am I just alone? Okay, good. Because what we're actually going to talk about is when our mind is uh, set on the right things, when our minds are thinking God's thoughts, it's actually a protective measure, and it actually puts us in a place to experience peace of mind. Could anybody use a little peace of mind <laughs> right about now? Anyone? Yeah, me too. And it's funny because uh, God actually promises perfect peace for his kids, complete and perfect peace. I don't know if you've arrived at perfect peace yet. I'm not sure I have. But it says right there in Scripture that that's what he has in mind for each and every one of us. And so if that's something that as his child I can have, that's something I want to know how to access, don't you? And so when I think of someone like with perfect peace, like complete peace, I don't know who comes to your mind. I was thinking about this this morning as I was getting ready. What, what does perfect peace even look like? And, and my first thought was like sloppy bun yoga pants and like the girl that instructs people. I don't know. Um, they seem really peaceful. Uh, I was also thinking of like the retired guy who tans too much on the beach and watches the sun come down with an umbrella in his drink. That seems like peace. Maybe it's fuzzy socks in front of a fireplace with chamomile tea. Is that peace? But you know, all of those are kind of a, a way of trying to gain peace in a kind of a worldly way. And we know that it's sort of temporary because you can't keep yourself in that position all of the time, can you? You know, when Jesus was comforting his disciples as he was getting ready to depart from them, and he was talking to them about how they weren't alone, even whenever he left, that he was going to leave his Holy Spirit. And because of that, he told them, peace, I leave you. My peace, I give you. Not as the world gives. See, the peace that he was to give was going to be a peace that would transcend all understanding. In other words, the kind of peace I think every Christian, if we had like hashtag peace goals, right? It would be the kind of peace that could stay firm even in the worst circumstances. In fact, a peace that could even sustain us when our feelings aren't there. Now that's some kind of peace. And interestingly enough, um, I'm not ripping on anybody who's ever prayed for peace because I know I sure have. But the more I studied about this in these last couple of weeks, the more I realized, scripturally speaking, we, that's not something we have to pray for. It's not that it's wrong or bad, but it really isn't necessary because he already gave it to us. What's necessary is understanding how to access it and use it. In other words, if... Um, 
If I gave my kids a dessert after dinner and set it in front of them, it would be ridiculous. Like if I'm like, here, dessert I give you, dessert I leave you, okay? If I did that, it would be weird if they came up to me like begging for a dessert, right? Because I'd be like, yeah, I already gave it to you. But it is up to them to eat it, right? That's our relationship to peace. About a month ago, I talked about worship. If you were here, you'll remember that, that worship really is to serve and to obey. And there's lots of different forms of that. Basically, worship is to serve what peace is to trust. We're not going to experience peace of mind the way that God intended for us apart from trust. And so that's kind of the hang-up there. You know, in fact, in Isaiah, it even says, uh, what does it say? Let's see. Do we have it up here? Yeah. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. We can't get away from that, can we? In fact, that word steadfast, I don't know about you, but when I see that word, I think of like plugging along, never change. But what that word really means is at rest. At rest. So, so this is the kind of peace that is gained at rest because we trust in someone. In other words, when I picture that kind of peace, I'm no longer thinking of a yoga instructor or chamomile tea. When I think of the kind of peace that's perfect because it's at rest, because of whom it trusts in, you know what actually picture I get? I get that picture of when you're driving down a road at night and you turn around and you see your kid like drooling, totally conked. It's still cute even when they're 15. <laughs> I may or may not have taken a picture of that recently and chose not to throw it up there. But when a child is totally like conked out in the backseat of the car, that's like the ultimate like I'm at rest because I trust who's driving me. And that is the kind of peace that God wants us to have. If life is a highway, and yes, I want to break out into that song right now. It's so hard for me to concentrate and not go there. But if life is a highway, and your life is the car, your peace, your ability to conk out or enjoy the ride, is all going to depend on how much you trust that driver. If you're the one driving, you might experience momentary peace if you know where you're going and it's familiar and all that. But if life hits you in a way that takes you by surprise or feels overwhelming to you or you don't know what's coming or you're tired yourself, how many of you know that it's hard to have peace of mind when you're super fatigued? I actually heard a quote not long ago, and I like it, that um, rarely does a well-rested person get tempted. I kind of liked that. It's pretty true for me. So how are we going to get this kind of peace? There's something, there's one thing that's for sure. It's never going to come apart from trusting God. So what do we do? Do we just like will ourselves to trust God? How does that work? See, when I was looking up scriptures, and for the last couple of weeks I've been looking up scriptures all about the mind. Pretty much anything that the Bible said about the mind, I'm like looking it up. And I'll have you know, most scriptures that address the mind also address the heart. Very rarely was I even able to even find a scripture that addressed the mind apart from the heart. So while I love the Reset series, and I love that we're addressing the heart and the mind and the soul, because they are individual things that make us all up, they are also extremely interrelated and interdependent. And don't we really know that? Where are your feelings if your mind's all darkened? and junked up. In fact, it kind of works like, you guys have heard the, uh, the phrase referred pain. I'll never forget there for a while, I was having one sinus issue after another after another. Eventually, it resulted in surgery, but I was constantly going to the general practitioner for these sinus infections. It's like, what gives? Finally, I end up having an x-ray by a, a, a dentist who ends up telling me I've got an infection in, in the jawline up in my sinus cavity. See, I thought the pain was here, and it was, but really it was a referred pain, and the acute infection lied elsewhere. And so what I'm here to say is that some of you think you're depressed. 
Some of you think you're anxious. Some of you think that you're far from God. Some of you think that what's going wrong right now has all to do with the feelings. When really it could be that those feelings and those thoughts are a referred pain from a mind that's gotten far from God. From a mind that maybe isn't thinking directly bad thoughts. You know, that's not how the enemy comes at us anyway. Really, we're a little too sharp for that, right? It's like, I might not be the sharpest pencil in the box, but I'm not going to fall for that lie. But what we will fall for is lies like the original ones. Did he really say? Right? So it's a twist on the word. So here's the deal. The first and foremost, how are we going to have thoughts like God? How are we going to have the mind of Christ if we don't know the word. This is one of those messages that can be very encouraging and very almost overly simplistic, and it can also be defeating for those of us who really want shortcuts. We want the diet pill. We want to lose the weight. We don't want to have to exercise or eat healthy. So how can I do that? You know, there's not a shortcut to this. You can't have the mind of Christ without knowing the word, and you can't trust someone you don't know. So let's just like say that again because whether we like it or whether we don't, however it hits us, is it just fair to say you can't trust someone you don't know? And you can't know Christ without knowing his word because see, in this word, he laid it out. These are my thoughts. This is who I am. This is your story. These are the potential outcomes. This is your map for life. This is how I feel about you. This is what I want you to think about you. This is what I want you to think about your circumstances. And so many of us think that we're all, we're all in a fit because of our circumstances. But really, we're in a fit because of what we think about our circumstances. Because I am now finally almost <clears throat> 30, actually. No, I'm almost 40 years old. And I'm finally figuring it out. I'm finally figuring it out. But just because I got over this really crummy situation, it doesn't mean that the rest of the life is crummy free. Anybody else figure that out? In fact, I was finally getting used to that crummy situation. It wasn't even all that bad anymore. And now I got a new one I got to figure out. We shouldn't be surprised by that. Because Jesus even told his disciples, in this life, what? We will have trouble. We will. We will. If you're trouble-free right now, praise God, enjoy the ride. It's short. Because we're going to have trouble. It's a fact. But take heart. Have peace. Be at rest. Take courage. Because he's overcome the world. And if I can think like him, and if I know the things he knows, maybe that's the key to peace. We want that kind of peace that can stare in the face of the worst situation you could ever imagine and still somehow I can conk out in the backseat of the car this life knowing that even though I wasn't expecting to go to that town, you ever took a turn and you didn't expect life to go that way? Wow, this isn't, you know, whatever age you are, fill in the blank. Has any of you ever thought, or am I the only one, this is not where I thought I'd be at this age. I'll be really vulnerable and tell you, I thought I would be smarter, wealthier, and healthier. I really did. I think I just thought I would have a little bit more figured out. Sometimes I feel like a child trapped in an older body, you know, and I'm like fooling my kids because I still really don't know a lot. Anyone else secretly just felt that way? The key is not that you figure it out. We'll never be able to. The key is that we know the person that knows where he's taking us and why. And if I can trust that, I can weather the storm. I can be in the jail like we talked about about a month ago. I can enter the fiery furnace. I can enter the twist and the turn that I did not prepare for. Perfect peace. It's complete peace regardless of circumstances. That is the goal. Who is the driver? Because maybe you've come to a place where you've already accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And that's a very important and necessary step to have any kind of real peace at all. Because the first kind of peace all mankind needs is peace with your creator. Man needs peace with God. 
And if you don't have that, good news, it's really simple. You accept his son who died to take your sin and put you in right standing with God. So that's the first kind of peace we have to have. If you have not made that decision, if Jesus is not your Savior, you can search for peace all day long and you will not have the most base level peace that every human needs, peace with your Creator. But then based on Scripture I've read, beyond that, if you've made that decision, you, you are a child of God. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I'm in good standing with God. Yet I struggle with peace. Anyone? See, I'm, I'm, I'm reading Scripture and I'm finding out that even though peace is God's will for everyone, hear me on this because I'm just like blown away by how obvious it is in the Bible over and over again. God's will for all his children is perfect peace. I'm going to say that again because sometimes I don't know that I really believe that at the biggest part of me. God's will for you is not trouble-free, not trial-free, but it is to have perfect peace. That is his will for you, and he gave it to you. Good news? That's good news. That's good news. So then this tells me that if that's the truth, that's kind of good and bad. It's good. Okay, great. That's his will for me. He left it for me. But then I have to ask myself if I'm not experiencing it all the time. Well, then what's going wrong? Right? And I will say this. I'm not going to get into this part right now, but I'll just make this. If you are, uh, if you are in a relationship with God, but you are walking in um, open rebellion, you know you're supposed to be going this way in a situation, and you're going that way. You know what the Bible says about this situation, but you're just going to like harbor this little sin, and I'm not going to change. I'm never going to change. And you're just going to walk in that way. You will experience a lack of peace. And I've come to actually trust him enough to think that lack of peace is a grace to me. What kind of a father would let his child go down a dangerous path and feel peaceful? So if you're experiencing a lack of peace, and it has to do with like a harbored act of sin in your life, don't sit here and feel judged or like God hates you. He's doing that because he loves you. And allow that lack of rest and that lack of peace and that inner tension to draw you back to the one who can give you the peace and give you the tension. But he's not going to give you some kind of faux peace if you're in open sin and it's dangerous. You understand? So there's that. But beyond that, if you're in this relationship with God and you're not, like, of course you struggle because we're all humans. We're not perfect. We're not in full glory yet. But if you know, like, no, I'm not in open rebellion with him, but I'm still struggling with anxiety. I'm still struggling with depression. What are some things that we can do to access that perfect peace? Because it's not God's will for you to feel that way. It's not. I'll tell you what, the first thing we have to do, if you do not feel that you need God's word on a daily basis, and there's no judgment from me on this, but if you don't, that's really going to be one of your very first keys. And so you can pray for this. You know, you can pray for things that are God's will, and he'll say what? Yes, and you say amen. Yes and amen. So if you don't have like a hunger for God's word, that's really a great place to start. Because again, we can't have peace of mind if we don't have the mind of Christ, and we can't have the mind of Christ without his word. So that's going to be our very first step. Psalm 119.30 says, David says, I have chosen the way of truth. I have set my heart on your laws. See, this is a choice. This isn't a feeling. This is a choice. Here's what I love about the mind. I'm a girl, and I admit, I'm like dominant, a feeler. But I love the fact that if I can keep my mind engaged in the truth, that my feelings can only get so far. And they do go there quite often. I feel like my feelings are like a really, really hyper dog on a leash. That's what I feel like. It definitely wants to go there. I'm stressed. I'm worried. I'm scared. Life is horrible. How are we going to get through this? Like, that's my feelings. But it's a short leash for me. It's a short leash because I'm in this word all of the time, every day. I mean, at best, I can go like a day without kind of getting my mind back on the truth. I don't read this word anymore because I feel like I have to to be a good Christian girl. 
I read it because I have to for sanity, for direction, for guidance, so that I'm confident that I'm not doing the wrong thing. Listen, if I'm in question about something I'm doing, I take a lot of confidence these days in knowing, you know what, if something I was doing was really off base, I'm pretty sure that every single day, if his holy, written, inspired word, if I'm reading it and I'm praying every single day, I have confidence to believe that he'll kind of through that go, you're going the wrong way. And so I have a lot of confidence. I'm not looking, really looking for a lot of other people to tell me usually. In fact, we need such a love and a hunger for this word for our own benefit. By the way, any command or direction he gives us is for our benefit. Once again, it's about us trusting that his rules are for us. He is for us. He's for us. Good news. So any, any kind of command that he gives, it's because he knows we'll be better for it. I don't withhold candy at bedtime from my kids because they like it. I do it because I know what's good for them, even if they don't. It's not to be mean. It's because I know what's good for them. And we're going to have to get to the point where we have such a history with God that we really do understand in a situation that doesn't feel good and we cannot make sense on earth how this could be God's plan, that this is still good because I've walked with him long enough that I remember way back then, five years ago, ten years ago, two weeks ago, that situation that I couldn't see any good come of. And now I realize what God really did for me. And it was for me. That can help us in the situation that we're in right now that we can't make sense of by our own human understanding. It's trust. We trust because we know, we trust because we have history and experience with him. Psalm 119.30 says, I have chosen the way of truth and I have set my heart on its laws. I didn't set my heart on my feelings. Everybody knows that David, King David, is a feeler. You have to be a feeler to write songs, pretty much. But that's not what he said he set his heart on. I have set my heart on my feelings, Lord. He set his heart on the laws, I think, because he knows his feelings can go places. And sometimes we've got to rein it back in. In fact, if you read through the Psalms, I so relate to David because it's like, I feel like everyone's coming after me. I feel like you're not even there, God. Are you going to destroy me? Do you even care? But I know that your laws are. It's like, it always comes back in, and he always has to bring himself right back to the word. This is how I talk to myself, you guys. It is. I have come to, to love the word so much. I tell you what, I've talked to you guys before about uh, my grandma, Judy. And, and she is just one of the most special people to me in my entire life. But one thing that makes her so special is anyone that meets her, am I telling the truth, anyone that meets her would say she's one of the most joyful, present people you'll ever meet. And it's not because her life has been trouble-free. And so about maybe 10 years ago or so, she was staying at my house helping me out with my kids. And I, we were having a late conversation, as we always do when she comes to visit. And I asked her, I said, Grandma, what really makes you so joyful? I mean, in all honesty, I don't know anybody as consistently joyful as you. So we had this great conversation. And I was afraid I would forget it because I do that. I forget things very, very easily. Anyone else? I can tell you if a movie was good, but I don't remember what it was about. It's like that kind of thing. So I knew we had just had a good, important conversation, but I also knew I would probably forget it, and I did. So I asked her when she went back home, do you think you could write down the things that you said? Because I, 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 I want to have that to read. I love her so much. And I so want to be like her. I literally wanted it in writing. What makes her so joyful? And about a week later, and I knew she would do this, she sat and had her cup of coffee and sat at the kitchen table. She wrote me like a four-page letter with her handwriting, detailing to me the reasons that she has so much joy. I'm telling you, I have that letter in a safe box. It's under my bed. How much money would you have to offer me for me to give you those four pages of letters? I wouldn't give it for anything. I wouldn't give that away for anything. And one day when she's gone, you better believe I'm going to have that on my nightstand. I want to refer back to it because that's a life I admire. That's a life I want to be like. How much more? My Savior. 
how much more the one that took my sin, every sin I've ever done, he took it on the cross, he paid for it, now I get to live as one with him one day. In how much more do I want to cherish his thoughts? And what would I give in exchange for that? What would I give in exchange for that? So David had it right. He said, I set my mind on your law. In fact, that word set is going to be really, really key for us in gaining peace of mind. That word set. It's got to be a little louder. That was supposed to happen a little bit. Who remembers this song, anyone? Okay, okay, good. Sorry, sorry, sorry. This could get bad. No, who remembers that song? Anybody? George Harrison, that's right. Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, you don't know the Beatles or what? Um, who remembers that song? But here's what it says. I got my mind set on you, but it's going to take, it's going to take money. Okay, and then it's going to take, do you remember what else? And it's going to take time, whole lot of spending time, right? Uh, lyrically, maybe not a genius song, but, but we get the point. We get the point. He goes on to talk about all the things that it's going to take because he's found a girl that he says, I know the feelings that I feel are real, and so I'm going to have to engage my mind and set my mind to it too. You know what I think he's really saying? I've been a rock star, and I've fallen in my feelings for a lot of women. This one I want to keep, so now I know it can't just be my heart. It's got to be my mind. And he actually understood something. He understood that to set his mind to something was going to take an intentional investment. And he's right. Otherwise, what else is going to outlast the feelings in any kind of relationship? And it's the same with our relationship with God. Maybe you heard this message. Maybe you fell in love with what the Lord did for you, and that's great. But, you know, one day of not eating great or not sleeping well and your feelings are zapped. I mean... We all know that. So what's going to sustain us then in that relationship if our minds aren't set to it? So the question is how. We know the what. We've got to set our minds to it. What's the how? So we go to Colossians because there's other places in Scripture that talk about it, but Colossians gives us not just the what. Colossians 3, 1 through 17 gives us the how. And so I'm going to skip through some of it. I'm going to read some of it. I'm going to skip through some of it so that we have time to really make the points. Colossians 3, 1 through 17. Oh, and I love this because in my Bible translation, the heading, you know how there's headings to certain passages of Scripture? The heading on this one says, living as those made alive in Christ. Do you just love that? That's highlighted in bright yellow for me. Living as as those made alive in Christ. That tells me you can be alive in Christ and not live as though you are. The way you live it out is going to be up to you. So I want to know what this says because I want to go ahead and live as one made alive. You know, what's a bigger waste than an unhappy Christian? I'd rather not live that way, actually. I'd rather not live a life that is in direct defiance to how, what I really know. And so, you know, it's funny because I think it was Neil or maybe Steve that talked about, you know, uh, reminding us that phrase that a mind is a terrible thing to waste. And you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to piggyback on that. Peace of mind is a terrible thing to waste. If it's for us, I don't want to waste it. I don't want to leave it sitting on the shelf. And so Colossians 3.1.17 is going to address the how. It says, since then, you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And I love that image, you guys, because when it says he's seated, do you know what that indicates? At rest. He's already accomplished it. He's not, he's not still working for it. It's done. He's seated. It's done. And it also pictures him seated at the right hand of God, the ultimate judge. And I love that because back then they knew that the one sitting at the right hand of the judge, <laughs> the one sitting at the right hand of the judge is actually the defense attorney. But he's seated. He's our defender. 
and he's already been victorious. And he's seated next to our eternal judge, victorious on our behalf. If we're hidden in him, it's done, it's accomplished. Come judgment day, we're in. We've won. That's good news, right? So I love that. So he says, because of that, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Set your hearts on things above, not on earthly things. Set your minds on things above, not on See, they're always connected. But I think that's a tricky thing. It's an easy sentence to read, hard one to live out. Because in my mind, I think, so are we just like not supposed to pay attention to what's going on in our life and just focus on heaven? That can't be what he means because that's not the theme of the Bible. So then what does it mean? I think it means perspective. The more I read contextually, I think it means living this life, this life, present to this life. We're not there yet. Don't worry about it. It's coming. This life. Be in it. Be present, but heavenly minded. Let me give you an example. I I read the cutest thing uh, the other day on social media. It was a dad. I think he was a pastor. It was a dad and like a teenage son, and they went to the Grand Canyon, one place I've always wanted to go. Has anybody been there or Oh, man, I've always wanted to go. I've never been. But these two, they go to the Grand Canyon, and, and they see it. And the mom that's back home gets a text from the dad. And the dad writes, I'm in awe of what I'm looking at. I can't believe the beauty that I am beholding right now. And it just puts me so much more in awe of the creativity and the wonder and the bigness of our creator, and yet that he would gift me with the pleasure to be standing in this moment right now. That's being present. That's being alive to what God has put you in right now with the heavenly mindset. Now, the teenage boy, and I'm not dissing on teenagers, he also texts his mom like back to back. Hey, mom, guess what? I can spit a mile. I actually think God loves that too. But I'm saying perspective. They're standing here looking at the same thing. How can I embrace everything? My job, the dishes I have to do, the kids, the confrontation, the meeting. How can I endure these things and not escape, like transport myself to heaven? I'm not there yet, so God has purpose for me here. Engage this, but heavenly perspective. And that's what it's talking about. Set your mind to it. Set your heart. It's an active, present participle. So what that means is you're going to have to keep doing it. You know, if you want to wake up, set an alarm. If you want to eat, set the table. This is the kind of present, active participle word, set. It's not just that you keep doing it, but it's something you do with intention. You set the table intending to eat. You set the alarm intending to wake up. You set your mind and you set your heart on God to become more like him. There is an intention here, and it has to be put into practice. He's not talking about thoughts alone. He's talking about thoughts engaged to be acted out in a certain way. Our thoughts have to accompany the actions or it's not the completeness of the meaning that he's talking about. Set your mind, set your heart. And then it skips down in verse 5 to say, and put to death these things. And I'm not going to get into all those things, but it's basically a laundry list of sins. He says, put it to death. Hey, listen, I don't know the sin that you're like likely to kind of be in and out of. I know we all have them. So the playing field, you know, the playing field is leveled here. But I don't know what yours is. But he's saying, put it to death. Like I said earlier, you're not going to gain this, this peace if you're going to keep engaging in this sinful lifestyle. Put it to death. That's active also. Active, present, participle. Put it to death. You know, the quickest way to kill something is to stop feeding it. Name me one thing that can live if you just stop feeding it. If you're some science person, don't tell me if there really is something. Just go with me. Go with me on the general idea. Most things die if you starve it. And so, okay, just, just, just do it. He doesn't deal with your feelings. Well, I know it might be hard, but if it is, no, he just says put it to death. Do that. While you're setting your mind and while you're setting your heart on heavenly things, put this thing to death. And then it says, oh, and the next active word we see here is clothe. 
Clothe yourself with these things. Rid yourself of these things. Now put on your clothes. The ones that God gave you. And he lists basically the fruits of the Spirit. Peace, humility, forgiveness. Put these things on. And here's what I love. Set your heart. Set your mind. Put to death. Clothe yourself. And now look. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Since as members of one, one body, you were called to peace. We're all called to it. This peace thing is supposed to be a distinguishing factor of God's family. Not only does he want you to have it, it's his good gift to you, he actually wants us to represent. He wants us to represent. He wants his family to look different than everyone else. And I tell you what, a quick way to look different from everyone else is to have peace of mind in all circumstances, right? So these are the things you got to do. I hate when I hear the what and I don't know the how because I'm like, okay, so how? And this one gives it to us. It says set your minds, set your hearts, put to death, rid yourself, clothe yourself, and now let. Let is not passive. Or I mean, let, let is passive. You don't have to do anything for the peace when you're doing these other things. It just comes and it surfaces. And I love this because it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Because here's the thing, we're not going to get away from it. We're inundated from very ungodly things all of the time. So thoughts are going to come in our minds all the time. I talk to my kids about this. They'll feel bad because they can't get a bad word out of their mind or they can't get a, a bad movie scene out of their mind. And I'll say, honey, it's natural. But you know what? You can't let that record keep playing in your head. You can't let that script keep going in your head. In other words, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Some of us are trying to withdraw from a bank that is already pretty low. It says that the word of Christ is supposed to dwell in us richly, meaning, you know, if you're going to be rich, you've got to be making some regular contributions. You know, I never like getting those statements of our retirement. It's like, ooh, how'd that get so low? Oh, yeah, well, I guess we haven't really bothered to contribute much. It says that the word of Christ is supposed to dwell in us richly. Why? So that we can access it quickly and easily. We don't feel depleted having to go run after it. It's just already there. Now, for me, I'm going to tell you, for me personally, I love what the next thing says. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts. I love that because for me, no matter how much scripture I've read or devotionals I've tried to do, the scripture that sticks with me the most that I can access the quickest are the ones that I've adopted through a melody, the songs. This is not the only reason we sing. That's a whole other sermon of why we sing. But this is sure one benefit to it. I love that, that they did, uh, God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Because that song, any time for years, any time I'm in a situation where it's like, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what your predominant feeling is that's not peace. For me, when I don't have peace, it's usually because I'm overwhelmed. I feel overwhelmed easier than I'd like to. So that song is like, it's on, my, my poor family just hears me singing it a lot, and it gets on their nerves. But because I only know like one or two lines, you know what I mean? It's not like I'm walking around, God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me wisdom to know just what to do. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, can't, I can't really recall that scripture. I know it is scripture. I don't really have that scripture so readily available to me, but I've got a whole song bank. Do you know what I'm saying? And this is part of the reason that worship in, in the form of singing is so important to me because this is my weapon. This is, how, uh, this is how scripture dwells in me richly. It's so much more readily available for me once it's adopted to song. This is also why uh, I think you ought to be picky about what songs you're adopting. Some of them can sound really great. Uh, are they really scripturally founded? Because I'd rather just go ahead and be able to access the ones that are actually true and aligned with God's word. And by the way, I think we do a good job of that here at the edge. But we're supposed to be able to readily 
have that. Um, okay, so here's, here's what I, I want to move on to. I want you to recognize the symptom of lack of peace. For me, uh, I, I was just talking to my sister-in-law about this the other day. For me, uh, lack of peace is a, has a, a very similar feeling to um, my allergy medicine. Because my allergy medicine is one of those things where I'm supposed to like take it every day and if I don't, I get sick pretty much like immediately and it always goes to a science infection, these kinds of things. Um, but for some reason, I always think it doesn't work. I'm always like taking my Zyrtec, my Flonase, all this kind of thing. And I'm like, you know what, I still don't really feel great. I just, it's not really, mm. So I'll like run out of it and I'll be like, I don't want to spend the 20 bucks. I don't have the energy to go into Walgreens. I'll be fine. It's not really working anyway. I haven't felt like a million bucks in a really long time. So it's probably not working. And then it's about 48 hours later. And all of a sudden, I'm like, man, I think I'm getting a head cold. I have no clue why. And I never know why. I always forget. And then like a day or so later, my family's laughing because they know this is true. About a day or so later, I'll tell Neil, like, man, I just have crushing face pain. I don't know. I don't know what gives. I don't. And he's like, well, are you taking your allergy medicine? I'm like, yes. Duh. And then I'm like driving to CVS to get it. Allergy medicine for me is one of those things I don't really notice that it works till I'm not taking it. And I find that when it comes to peace of mind, it's like that for me. I never really notice when I have peace of mind. It's not like I'm walking around like, man, I got a lot of peace of mind right now. I don't really notice that. But I really notice when I don't. So I need to know, well, what's the medicine for that? What, 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 what do I need to do? And that's why I love Colossians. I'm a doer. I want to know, why don't I have peace of mind? And what can I do to make this better? A lot of times, I can't change a circumstance. Whatever circumstance is, if it's a busy schedule, it's a busy schedule. I can't change that. But I can set my mind. I can set my heart. I can gain the mind of Christ. I can put to death. I can analyze, is there a sin that I've grabbed onto? Put it to death. What am I clothing myself with? And now I can let the peace of Christ rule. Not let the peace of Christ enter your mind. Rule. What's going to stay there? What's going to stay there? What are we going to dwell on? And for me, if I've got that worship music going, if I'm singing, it's much easier to dwell in that mindset. It's awkward and hard and weird to pop off at my kids if I'm also singing worship music. It's like, God, I looked at you. What, kid? You know what I mean? Like, that's weird. It makes even the best person feel like a hypocrite, right? And so for me, it's just like, it's just this, this spiritual songs thing. It's big. It's deep. It's one of those powerhouse medicines we should always be taking in terms of peace of mind. You know, Scripture says sing for joy. A lot of times we think that we should sing because we have joy. But it actually says sing for joy. You sing, the joy is going to start coming. It's a side effect. I love that. I love that. What we need to have here is we need to have a resolve. I love the idea of being a person that has a few things I'm resolved about. How many of you know if you're going to start getting healthy and go on a diet, you've got to have some serious resolve because there's going to be a lot of instances where the food that you shouldn't have that you do want is going to be right there at your fingertips, right at 3 o'clock when you're so hungry, right? There's got to be some resolve. So to have this kind of peace of mind, there's got to be resolve. And when I think about resolve, you know what story I love to think about the most? I love the story of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I wish we had a whole sermon to talk about that one because there's so many goodies. But in terms of peace of mind and resolve, if you know this story at all, it's found in Daniel. If you know this story at all, you know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were followers of God. And that the king was trying to get all the people to bow down to a false god. But these three men said, we will not. And because of that, the punishment was to be thrown in a, a fiery furnace. And they were going to be burned alive. And I love that these three men together, you think that's an accident? You think it's easier to stay resolved in this whole Christian faith if you're with others? You want to think about God thoughts? Be engaged in conversation with people who talk about God. Because what I talk about is what I tend to think about. If I start detailing yummy tacos with fresh cilantro and lime, guess what you're thinking about? If I start talking about the miraculous things that God has done in my life, guess what you're thinking about? I need, this is why we need church. You can listen to sermons all day long on the internet. There's great ones out there. I recommend it. It can't take the place of church. 
It can't take the place of church because what we talk about with people is what we will predominantly think about. I never had a, a God dream in my life. All of a sudden, I start coming to edge. All these people are having God dreams. I'm like, oh, okay, cool, that's weird. And then I start having God dreams. It's like, wait a second. And yes, praise God, because it's awesome. But this is something I never even entertained. You know why? I'd never been around a Christian in my entire life that ever talked about a God dream. I never heard that before. What we talk about and hear is what we will think about. So what are you going to talk about? Who are you putting yourself around? These guys had a resolve, and they spoke it. I personally think your, uh, your, your, your chances are better with resolve if you're speaking these things. It's kind of like, I don't want to give this sermon and then like tomorrow be full of anxiety because I'll feel like kind of like a dud, you know? These guys said it. They didn't just think it. No, I'm not bowing down. They said it. And you know what they said? They said, our God is able. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, that's resolve right there. Even if he doesn't, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. I almost wonder if they hadn't said it, if the resolve would have been a little less. But, you know, kind of once you say that, and then they're still walking into the fire, you're kind of like, well, I have to go with it. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's for our benefit if we have to speak it. And sure enough, God didn't do what they wanted him to do. He did something better. I bet you anything they were thinking, our God is able, but even if he doesn't, but they're like, God, please don't. Like, th that would be like so unjust, and that's going to make you look like a fool and me look like a fool, so could you please not? You ever been in one of those situations? I'll love God even if he doesn't give me a spouse, but Lord, you know I hope you do. I'll love God even if he never gives me a job again, but God, come on. But they faced the situation that they didn't want. The circumstance was different than they wanted. And guess where God met them in the realest way that they'd ever experienced to date? In that fire. And not only were they refined by the fire, by the way, the fire will either burn us alive or, or it will refine us. It depends. God is a consuming fire. Are you with God? You'll be refined. Are you without him? It'll burn you alive. These guys, not a hair on their head was singed, it said. They had no marks of the fire, but guess what the king and all the onlookers saw? That's right. What is that? There's a fourth man down there with them. And I love this because it says they were like walking around, talking, unharmed. See, here's the thing. We think peace of mind, and I do this too. We think peace of mind is a, a life without trouble, a life without fires, a life without prison a life without job loss, a life without divorce, a life without uh, grief. We, we do everything we can to create a life that's trouble-free so that we can have peace of mind. Yet God says, no, no, you're going to have trouble. There's still a way to have peace of mind, though. There's still a way to have peace of mind. Because here's the thing. Not only are some fires and twists and turns unavoidable, but sometimes, and I have personally lived this out, I wonder if any of you have, sometimes the very fire that you prayed you would not get thrown into is the one where you met God in a face-to-face -face kind of way. You know what happens when that happens? You can trust him again. Now you've come up against this job loss, but you remember when you did that five years ago, and it almost killed you, but this time you're stressed. Yeah, but look how he delivered us last time. This is almost kind of like exciting. I wonder how he's going to do it because <laughs> I don't see a way. The perspective changes. We have peace of mind because we trust him. We went through that fire. We saw, so maybe the storm we're trying to avoid is the storm where he meets us and we worship for the first time. Maybe it's the prison where we got set free from something, even though we didn't want to go to the prison. Maybe it's the fire that we were so afraid would destroy us. And we met God there. And I just wonder, what kind of resolve did they have after that fire? If they had resolved before the fire, what are they afraid of now? I just got to say, if you've survived a fire, like really, what kind of things are you afraid of now? And yet every time Jesus shows himself face to face with someone, he says, take courage. Don't be afraid. If we're not to be afraid, 
chances are he's going to put us in situations that we're afraid of, and then we're going to find out we didn't have to be. Now all of a sudden we've got courage in our spiritual bank. We've got history in our spiritual bank. We have a relationship we trust in, and now all of a sudden we have peace of mind that transcends our current understanding because of the trust that was built in the past fire. Does that make sense? I'm going to invite the band um, back up. But I want to give you this idea of this like resolve thing because I just thought of this story just came to me a couple days ago and it just made, I don't know, it was a really sweet thought to me. I have three daughters, you guys know that. I have one daughter that is particularly, she is just, she has a resolve. Like, I don't know where she gets it, but she's just got a resolve. This is a kind of girl, if she sets her mind to something, you've heard the phrase, you set your mind to it, you can do anything. Or, or my family used to say, she's got a mind to do that. And we know what that means. That means intentions to put it into practice. Well, I've got one daughter that's like that. In fact, I am so sure she'll be able to do whatever she wants to do in life, not because of natural talent. I know the things she's naturally talented in, but this daughter, I'm sure whatever she chooses, even if there's almost no natural talent, she'll do it. Because this girl has serious resolve. And I'm blown away by it because that's not me, naturally. But an example, a perfect example that came to my mind about this girl is two Christmases ago, we have a routine where we have Christmas morning at our house, we all the hoopla, and then that night we pack our bags and the next morning we get to go to grandma's, their favorite person in the whole world. But this time on Christmas Day, she got really sick like bad pneumonia, dark circles, couldn't get off the couch, very, very sick. And more than um, feeling physically ill and sorry for herself about that, she was sad. She's a kid. She said she doesn't get to go to grandma's. And she's feeling guilty that her sisters can't either. And it's just, it's just a very, like, it disrupts the plans. And, like, we already had Christmas in our house. Now we're just stuck there. It was, it, it was, but she got a 750-piece Lego set. <laughs> And, of course, it's hard to entertain a kid that's super sick. And it's hard to lift her spirits when she can't really do anything. So I said to her, I said, hey, I know. Why don't we get that Lego set out? Except here's the problem. None of the other shories are good at Legos. Only this one. Only this girl. In fact, uh, the quickest way to make me feel like a complete idiot is looking at Lego directions. It's like, here's a picture. Pick it up. Got it. Here's another picture. Pick it up. Got it. Just piece them together. And I'm like, I don't know. I give up. Legos just aren't, whatever side of the brain, the chunk of brain that works for Legos, we didn't get it. But this one daughter did. So when it comes to Legos, she's on her own. So I made the suggestion kind of knowing like, but none of us are going to help you. <laughs> I mean, it's true. We just make it worse, don't we, babe? Then we get frustrated, like we're the kid. Anyway, so she, so, so this was going to work for her, and I thought, oh, good. This will pass hours of time, and it did. This girl, I cleaned up our entire house full of all the Christmas mess, and she's still working on these Legos, building this hotel something or other, 750 pieces. She finally gets done, and with a very, very weak, horsey cough voice, dark circles under her eyes, very, uh, very fatigued, she goes, Mom, and she starts to walk into the kitchen where I'm at. Mom, I finally finished. And I'm kind of busy. I'm not, what, honey, what? I finally finished. Will you come see? And, of course, being a distracted mom, oh, bring it to me. I don't even know what I'm saying, right? Bring it to me. But, Mom, if you would come in here. No, just bring it to me. I'm busy right now. Boy, do I regret doing that. She picks this thing up, takes a couple steps in the kitchen, drops it instantly 750 pieces probably five hours of labor everywhere she just looks at me and goes and I mean alligator tears falling down her face I'm like oh honey I'm so sorry and I'm trying to help her pick up the pieces I'm like I'll help you put it back together and she knows I can't help her and she's like and I'm like, Dad will help you. He's not going to. She knows this, you know. And there's even pieces that I can tell are broken now. So it's never going to fit back together the way it once was. And I'm just thinking, oh, why does she have to have one more heartache here? Hours she spent on this thing. 
she cries for like three seconds. But again, remember what I told you about her. She picks them all up, walks right back in the same room she started, plugs away for another three hours. Didn't fit back together the way it did before because some pieces were permanently broken. Sometimes life does that, I've noticed. You work really hard to finally start saving money for the first time in your life and then $10,000 worth of damage in your house overnight. You finally get pregnant and you lose the baby. You finally get that love and then it ends. You finally have that friend and then there's betrayal. You finally get that job and it leaves you flat. You've had this. You've had this where it's like all of a sudden, this life that you tried to build, that you meant for it to be trouble-free in an instant. You ever had that? It's like it's shattered into 750 pieces. Some of the pieces are broken so badly, it'll never look like it did before. If you've ever experienced loss, you know there's no way to put life back together the way it was now without that person, without that marriage, without your health, whatever. What are you going to do when that happens? Because it happens. I don't mean to be daunting, but it happens. If it hasn't happened to you yet, it's probably going to happen. What do you do when you're staring at all these pieces of your life and you cannot figure out how you'll ever have the energy to put it back together again? And some pieces are so broken, it's not going to go back together like it did, no matter how hard you try. What are you going to do? And according to this scripture, here's what you're going to do. You're going to do what my daughter did. You go back to the manual. She grabs the manual. Starts on page one. Some of it she could recall to memory, so it was pretty easy. And some of it she had to look at like it was the first time again. And when I go through a crisis spiritually, usually because of circumstances that were out of my control, I got go, to go back to the manual. And I literally have to start with the simplest things like who God is and who I am and what his plan for my life is. I have to start there again. And some scriptures are easier for me to absorb, and some of them I have to go back again like I didn't even remember that that was true, and I'm struggling to even believe it was. But I know where to go, and I've got to resolve that I'm going to stick with this faith. I, if I have to go in this fire, if he throws me in it, I will see him in it, and I will come out refined. And it starts with a thought. And so if you guys want to go ahead and start playing, here's what we're going to do to put on these spiritual clothes. Here's what we're going to do to put this into action. I've given you, some of you have the reset journals. If you've been around since January, you probably picked one up. I think there's still some in the lobby and you're welcome to grab it. If you don't have the reset, the reset journal, but you do have this, I've put on the bottom half, this would have been in your bulletin, some thoughts. How many of you know, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reach, reap a character, reap character, destiny. I don't know if I said all that right, but you get it. But it all starts with what? A thought. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We're going to close with a song. And all I want you to do right now, literally right now, if you have this paper or anything, you can write it down. I want you to ask yourself to fill in this very first word where it says thought. I want you to think about what has been my predominant thought this week. Don't over-spiritualize it. Don't make it sound good. What's been your overarching thought this week, the one that just keeps coming in your mind? And by the way, if you don't know, you can probably ask someone that's around you a lot. They'll tell you. <laughs> Write down that thought. That's all. And then we're going to praise because we know how important that is. But what you're going to do is you're going to take this back and tonight before you go to bed or tomorrow morning, whatever your special time is that you can really lock in with the Lord and be honest with yourself. I want you to take that thought and decipher if that's the thought that's been dominating, what's an action that's been coming from that thought? What kind of habits 
have been coming from that thought? What kind of characteristic? And here's what I want you to do. I want you to sit with your Bible open, and it's real easy now because you can Google scriptures. And I want you to replace that thought. Let's say that thought is fear. I want you to write down the scripture, the God thought on fear. There's plenty of them. It won't be hard to find. Let's say it's anxiety, the God thought. And now, when this thought comes into your mind this week, quickly replace it. Put it to a melody if you have to. Make it into a rap. Whatever you got to do. Replace that thought with the God thought. Refuse to let this thought rule. It may come to your mind. It may even go as so far as to come out of your mouth. But now, no, that's not what's going to rule. It's not the driver. Come on, mind. You're going to take the heart for a walk. And you're going to do it with this God thought. So right now, before you stand to your feet to sing along, identify the thought. If it takes you all song, keep sitting down, get honest with yourself. What is the root thought that we need to rid ourselves of? We all have them. Once you've identified that thought, don't worry about it anymore. Put it down, get up, and join us in our final song of praise. Sound good? I'm so excited to see the victory that we can all attain one week from today if we just replace even one thought with the God thought.